welcome to Sexual Info Course. My name is Kersha and I'm sitting here with... Hi, I'm Jared. Hi, Jerry. How you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I've, I've had a few sips of coffee and I'm starting to feel the day take a hold. <laughs> nice. Me too. I got some sorrel here and the Jamaicans know what that's all about. Very delicious hibiscus beverage. Ooh, so good. So good. Um, so yeah, I also feel the day gripping me by the neck and telling me what I'm all about. Ooh. Ooh. What are we all about today? Ooh, today we are all about starting a really awesome series that we have been working on. We are going to take a look at the LGBTQIA2S plus acronym. We're going to break it down a little bit, get into some of the nitty gritty. For those of you who don't know, it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, <laughs> intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and then plus for, you know, all the other bibs and bobs out there in the world. Damn, great job. Yeah, we love it. So we're just going to break it down, look at some really cool case studies of some areas of that acronym and yeah i'm excited about that so what case study are we going to get into today well today we're going to take a look at lesbians in africa and how that manifests because africa is notoriously very very hostile towards any mention of anything <laughs> that is not heterosexual so we have a awesome guest ashley courier here who's going to talk to us about her work in that area of study. And I'm excited about it because she offers some really great insights, resources, and other works that you can look into to learn more about that. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited. But before we get into that, I just want to start this part of the series. Today, we're going to focus on LGBT. You know, I think when I was younger, that's what we heard most. Obviously, as we become more inclusive and have more conversations about the sexual orientation spectrum, you know, we've added more letters. And so we'll go through those. But today we're really going to focus on lesbian, gay, bi and transgender. And yeah, I'm excited about that because, you know, we want to be able to have the conversation in a way that is inclusive, broad, and in a way where we can really break it down for you. Sounds enticing. <laughs> okay, well, first we'll focus on the role that health plays when we look at that part of the acronym. My source today is from the CDC, so it's cdc.gov backslash LGBT health, and we'll link it in the show notes. But basically they talk about, you know, how in the healthcare space, we do have to kind of have a more broad view because a lot of people in the LGBTQ2S+, but for the sake of this, they are talking about specifically LGBT. There are needs that that community has that we have to be more mindful of going forward. And so just this is a good resource for doctors and also patients to take a look at and get an idea of what those needs are and how to communicate those needs in a way that is effective and in a way that is inclusive. So yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out. Also, 
I take a look at uh, language because I am such a words person as many people who know me know, but if you Absolutely. don't know me, <laughs> if you don't know me, that's like, I'm a study journalism in college. I love writing. I wrote for a magazine for several years. So I also found this very interesting because there is a lot of heterosexual bias in language in and of itself. And so this specific resource comes from the American Psychological Association. And so it calls for us to take a look at the psychology of our language and how it impacts us when we take a look at how we have been non-inclusive in the past and then how now we can go into being more inclusive in the future. So I found that really interesting. Something that I really focused on when I was reading through this was the problems of terminology. And so just to quote this, this resource specifically, it says problems occur in language concerning lesbians, gay men, and bisexual persons when the language is too vague or the concepts are too poorly defined. Um, there are two major problems of designation. Language may be ambiguous in reference so that the reader is uncertain about its meaning or its inclusion and exclusion criteria. And the term homosexuality has been associated in the past with deviance, mental illness, and criminal behavior. And these negative stereotypes may be perpetuated by a biased language. So I found that really interesting because obviously when we look back and think about how homosexuality was understood in the past, we know that it was often weaponized to harm people, obviously. Absolutely. That's probably all rooted in like, religion and all that too right? right exactly exactly but to kind of get an idea of how that can manifest if we're too vague as well by not speaking in definitive terms about what those terms mean or having like a an agreed upon meaning of a word how that can kind of cause its own set of problems so yeah i've i think that that's a conversation that like you know obviously email us at symphopod at gmail about and let us know what you think about that because i found that interesting like how do you talk about sexual orientation or sexuality and how does that how do you think that that impacts the world around you that's a deep one for the email absolutely <laughs> that is a deep one for the email but still let us know or you know message us on instagram at symphopod we want to know what you guys think about that what do you think I feel like I kind of went into it a little bit, but yeah, I just, I feel no, like... I was talking to the audience. Oh, you. you were talking to them. <laughs> yeah. How embarrassing. No, it's honestly, like, I, I understand. <laughs> you know, it's just me and you here, and it's like, who's right. going to answer? But we're talking to people We're talking there. to people, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, what if it's just us? Could be. But the that's, world you know what? That's okay, too. <laughs> so, um... Anyway, to segue back, looking at language, we also have to look at how education interacts with that, right? So if we grew up with teachers talking about homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, or transgender people as a, with a negative connotation, even if they weren't specifically saying it was negative or anything, but by being too vague about it, not wanting to talk about it. I think we touched upon that like last episode, like sometimes the way that your educator presents something to you can really just influence the way that you think about it before you even start really processing it. So 
Another resource I found was amaze.org. They do a lot of great work for educators, parents, and other folks of LGBTQ plus youths. And just basically, they go into how educators can kind of talk about these things in a way that is not trying to sway anyone of, of anything, not that you can, but just basically talking about things in a way more inclusive way so that your students don't feel isolated or othered in the classroom. Mm. So that that is really awesome. Yeah. So for our case study, we have Ashley Courier. She is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scholar. She's a professor. She's an educator, obviously. She's an advocate. She does a lot for the community. And she really focuses on Africa in a lot of her studies. And specifically, she touched upon two particular areas that I was deeply fascinated by one of which was When Rape Goes Unnamed. And the subtitle was Gay Malawian Men's Response to Unwanted and Non-Consensual Sex. And so this one just really talks about the issue that we face in this country as well, but I found it interesting that she she talks about it in the African context. Um, but just how sexual assault against men is just viewed uh, so violently differently than it is against women. And it's, it's really brutal because it's discounted often or treated as a, not a joke, I guess, but kind of that too. Like we see that in, it's very easy to like make a, like obviously he wanted it. Right, right, right. Um, I think that there was, especially like when I was younger, there was this idea that men couldn't be raped because women, I don't know. I don't know. It just, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. It fucks with me. It really fucks with me. And she definitely covers this idea in, in this area of Africa. And basically, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and read the entire abstract to you, but it's worth the read. So I'll link it below and we'll talk about that in the email send us an email let me know what you guys think about that but for today's interview we really focus on her article titled lesbian slash female same-sex sexualities in africa and obviously i was very fascinated with this because i know how egregious africa can be against gay men and i don't really hear about how it manifests with women I think the only thing I've ever really seen was like that meme where the African anchor of some sort of new show was asking this lesbian woman, like, why are you gay? Uh, (laughs) It's a classic. (laughs) (laughs) So that is the one specific thing that I like can relate to lesbianism and Africa. But aside from that, I didn't really have a lot of background. So I wanted to have her on the show and have her tell us more about it, which she agreed to, thankfully, um, not to her dismay. So, yeah, stay tuned. Listen to that. It's going to be very, very exciting. But before we get into that, I do want to give a uh, little bit of an alert, alert, trigger warning to our listeners. We do talk about some things that are uh, difficult to listen to. 
And so if that's something that you don't feel comfortable engaging with, uh, we totally understand that. And uh, we encourage you to take care of your mental health. Absolutely. That's so much more important than this podcast. Yeah. Every every time, every day. Yes. So we do have resources linked below. If reading it is a little bit easier for you, or if you want to just skip ahead and listen to our takeaways, that's fine as well. Uh, But we definitely wanted to put that out there in case, you know, you just don't feel comfortable listening to that. Also, I'd like to preface this interview by saying that there was some connection issues while we were recording. And unfortunately, it might sound a little choppy at points. And I truly do apologize for this. And we've already, we're new at this and we're still learning, but we figured out another way to serve as like a fail safe for this in the future. But we didn't want this great conversation to be lost. So we're still putting it out with the choppiness and all. But I think that you'll still be able to get a lot of information from it and enjoy it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Ashley Courier. All right. So good morning. Thank you so much for meeting good morning. us. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's so crazy to see you like in person, kind of, you know, <laughs> you're finally uh, put a face to a name. So obviously I uh, came across your work and that's why I invited you here today. Um, so Ashley, can you please just tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself just to give our listeners an idea of sure. who Ashley Courier um, is. My name is Ashley Courier and I'm a sociologist by training. I work on gender and sexual diversity organizing in Southern and West Africa. So that means that I study LGBTQ, feminist, and sexual rights organizations in both regions. I have extensive experience doing fieldwork with LGBTQ activists in different countries, uh, Liberia, Malawi, Namibia, South Africa, and really a grounding the, the story of activists in, in their pursuit of sexual rights on the continent. That's excellent. I, I love that so much. And how did you get involved in that particular area of study? I used to study literature and I was quite interested in African women's writing, particularly in Zimbabwe. A number of years ago, I an internship at a Zimbabwean publishing company um, and the, the publisher had worked with Yvonne Vera, um, a prominent Zimbabwean uh, author who's fortunately no longer with us. And I began becoming interested in work outside the text, so to speak. Um, particularly, I was interested in uh, democracy organizing, pro-democracy organizing in Zimbabwe at that point in time. And because I kept asking questions outside the text, I shifted my focus to thinking more broadly about active in the Southern African context, BTQ organizing. That's so wonderful how you went from literature to exploring so much further and creating your own literature in a sense. And so that is kind of what brought us here today. Um, I came across your uh, work with the lesbian slash female same-sex sexualities in Africa when I was doing my research. And there's a lot to unpack within it. There are so many notions that I think are understood in the Western world, but not really. I think we talk a lot about like gay men in Africa and like the male perspective, but not so much the female um, when it comes to those in the LGBTQ uh, IA plus space. And so I've, I've 
just want to say thank you so much for doing this work because it's important. And uh, I think we need more feet on the ground and more voices. So thank you for being a part of that, um, that movement and that shift. But there were definitely some things within your work that I was like, I just got to talk to this woman and find out, find out her perspective, because I, I was very interested in uh, a few things. So just to start, as I was reading through your work, there was a focus on the political landscape of Africa and how that interacts with the LGBT community. And so there was this notion that homosexuality is un-African. And so can you explain kind of where that's rooted and, and how that's manifesting in the country today? And that notion, I'm, I'm glad you see as it's a very suited uh, construction right now, um, this notion that homosexuality as an African. One thing I mentioned is that this forms in different African countries. I, you know, can speak and brought about homosexuality as an African like and sounds like, but to recognize that it does um, metamorphose depending on the context in which we're working. Um, so this is a concept that really motivates a number of homophobic discourses and actions that certain um, politicians make and take in different African uh, countries. And it's one that it, it just erases same-sex sexualities, sexual and gender diversity. Um, and we know that this. I mean, a lot of historical and anthropological research, and much of it formed by African scholars, just absolutely contests this notion. Uh, your white European colonialists certainly brought homophobias with them um, through laws and through legal system that they certainly didn't import same-sex sexualities um, with them. Homosexuality is an African rhetoric also discount BTQ organizing that is launched by Africans themselves. It suggests that LGBTQ to be European or like the United States, meet a number of activists who will say things like, we have never been outside of the, um, so how could we, you know, I've never met a European, I've met someone from the United States, so why what would make politicians think that we wanted to be like them? We're just trying to make space and claim our rights for ourselves. Okay. That can definitely make exploring your sexuality difficult in these areas, I would imagine. So in your research, did you find how people are, I mean, here we have gay clubs, we have uh, gay organizations, we have um, so many resources, especially um, digital for those who identify. So when that's the environment in which you're exploring your sexuality, what's available to you when you say, okay, wait, I may fall into this area of the sexuality spectrum. Uh, where, where now? Well, thankfully, queer Africans have made space for themselves in, in different countries for decades. Uh, it may be more under the radar. It may be less visible to outsider. Uh, so for instance, in South Africa, there's a locally Gale, G-Y-L-E, understood to be kind of like a, which that emerged during apartheid rule to allow another um, full signage. So for instance, a number of different African queer activist organizations take steps to um, shelter. They 
sell. Okay, this is where our office is located, but they don't have a sign outside their their office, for instance, to protect the anonymity of the organization and the people who come and go to receive services or education from activist organizations. So there are places and um, people are surviving and just may look a little different than what we might see in the, the U.S. context, for instance. So one thing that's important for me in my work is to notion that the African continent is hopelessly homophobic. I think that's a really dangerous construction. Instead, by focusing on activism, I've been able to stories of resistance and resilience of queer African acts. And that it means finding those, you know, identifying those pockets resistance and, right. and change. Excellent. I I think that we often, especially in the Western world, if it doesn't look like how we do it here, it's being done wrong. So I think that um, we really have to, you know, be mindful of, you know, especially when we're taking a global view, just because it looks different or it's at a different stage of development doesn't mean that um, it won't ever be quote unquote, as free, even if it looks different. So I love that. And I think that, you know, that's definitely a step in the right direction. And I think that there will be change, especially as more people like yourself and your colleagues do the work that you do. So that leads directly into my next question, which was, you know, I know that you are focused in this area, but what is the work that is currently going into documenting Africans who are practicing same-sex practices before, during, and after colonialism? So there are some organizations um, that have, I mean, some have closed their doors, but there are some activist organizations on the continent that are doing this work. One is um, Gay and Lesbian Memory in Action. Uh, they are formerly known as the Gay and Lesbian Ar Archives of South Africa. And they have um, older community, older um, LGBTQI, um, Afro-region, on collecting oral histories. Gala has, has a physical space where, active, where anybody who's interested can documents, uh, audio and video recordings, and Gala, um, different activist organizations and publishers on it to make uh, queer Africans, particularly through print media. Sometimes these publications are available digitally. Brands have played an important role in also, um, you know, professionally um, the, the, the past um, and recent, fairly recent past, especially when thinking about uh, the colonialist past, which in some cases, some might in the, in, in the present. Absolutely. Um, but so there are different, there are different places to find um, these publications, the degree to which they're accessible to wider, you know, readership is questionable. And that's, and that's a big, you know, a large concern now for um, scholars in general. Okay. Wow. So it's there. It's just a matter of finding it and having access to it and, and right. Which I imagine is difficult because, you know, obviously you're trying to drive forth the message that this has always been here. And this is, um, this is something that isn't brand new, but also, you know, it's hard to share that with people, which is, kind of the key way of spreading any message, especially nowadays with digital and all that. So, you know, hopefully there will be uh, strides made in that regard, but I think it's important work all the same. So I think that 
it's difficult to navigate this field because you sometimes may be seen as the Western perspective. And so how are Afrocentric queer perspectives influencing your work and why are they important to your work? Um, so I, I am a white, cis, bisexual woman from mm. the U.S., <laughs> who does research in Southern and West Africa on queer organizing. I mean, that's fundamentally something to recognize in terms of emphasizing African perspective and organizing. But queer uh, studies in general is, one, uh, practicing a certain uh, feminist politics of citation that centers the scholarship of feminist and queer scholars and two, really centering the voices, the people uh, with whom I'm doing research. So recognizing them as, as experts in their own right. It's, I think, having into pride with a certain gravitas that you don't know everything is extremely important. Um, humility is extremely important. Um, and, and so is recognizing there, there are times that people away. So one thing I haven't done as, as recently is I haven't been... Uh, I haven't extended my search on LGBTizing in South Africa, for instance, because there are a lot of South African queer study scholars who are doing that work themselves. They're doing a better job than I could have. It's important to, in some cases, get out of the way. So that's one which I have made the choice to step away from doing that kind of work. But I'm still, you know, making these transnational connections elsewhere. So I'm centering voices, but then also recognizing that some stories are, are not mine to tell. Um, I think that's quite important. Um, so being careful, for instance, so one, one thing I've done more recently is documenting sexual violence in a for, as a form of like queer phobia that some LGBTQ Africans face. So it's punitive sexual violence um, for their perceived gender and or sexual transgression. And so I don't recount, for instance, the, the details of the, the trauma that people have experienced, right? Say, you know, I'm a survivor and take them at their word. But documenting the, the, um, how it's affected, how they live their lives has been in, in me so that that, um, so that, that there is, uh, we understand the different valences um, of violence in these. So that's been something also important to me is um, to, to give voice to the voiceless in some cases by different social movements that exist on the ground. Um, so these are some of the ways I've been trying to approach my work. There's always room for improvement, however. Wow, I so much of what you said really stuck with me because I think especially in the scholarly space, it is easy to say, I know what we need to tell people and I know the stories that we need to tell people and this is what's going to get people on board and this is what's going to get people to listen. And so you taking the initiative to step back and say, hey, listen, <laughs> I know what I know and that's fine and there are people who know more than I could ever begin to explore. So I think that that is such a humble and you're not letting hubris get in the way <laughs> of your work. And I think, especially when you feel so convicted, like 
I, I think anyone listening or anyone who's engaging with this podcast right now wants people in Africa to be able to express their sexuality as freely as they want to. And so part of that expression is allowing people to tell their own stories and allowing people to say, hey, like, can we not revisit the details of this awful thing that happened to me and just, you know, let let it be enough that I'm here telling you this story. Um, and so I, I think that that is so, um, I'm going to say noble. I'm going to go ahead and say noble that you're, you're willing to, as you say, step out of the way and allow people to tell their own story and give, give their own perspective. And that's what this podcast is about. And so that's why you're the perfect guest because, you know, um, that's that's why I wanted to broaden the perspective to a global stance because I think we get lost in um, in wanting to tell the story that we forget that the storyteller is there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I really appreciate that about you and uh, how you go about your work. That's really great. So for the sake of time, I mean, there's so much that we could get into, but I want to know if you have any suggestions for how people can get involved, how we can, you know, spread the word, further the message, help people um, in any way. People can in a number of different ways. Um, for instance, you can sign up for action alerts through Amnesty International and Human Rights One, Out, Outright Action Internet, which is formerly known as the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights um, Commission, Igleherk. They, these are all, um, Organize LGBTQ um, rights organizations, gather information and share them. One important thing I think is give money to, I mean, if people are able to donate funds, giving those funds directly to different African organizations is a better way to go than giving locally to large U.S. international organizations. I activists know best how to use the money um, and they know what's needed and they definitely could use the money. (laughs) Um, It will go a long way too if you give directly to organizations. So there are a number of different uh, different organizations, depending on one where wants to start. So queer, the Queer African Youth Network um, works mostly West Africa, and they've been doing amazing West African queer youth organizing. We do have and span bisexual and women um, organizers. Um, keep in mind the uh, gender dynamics in South Africa, trans um led organization and a trans rights organization in space in South Africa that has um, been doing work in, in the region. And there are a number of different regional organizations may also be of interest to your uh, listeners. Um, there are so many <laughs> to link to, and um, that's something to um, I'm involved with it. This is more of a scholarly organization, the Queer African Studies Association. It serves as more of like right. an information clearinghouse for people who are interested in queer studies on the African continent. That's also a place where people who are interested in activism get information, share information. So these are some um, ways to think about. I think that we have to ask ourselves, you know, what motivates us to get involved? What is our hoping to get out of it? What can we contribute? And then recognize that it may not be the right fit for some organization. Tell us, uh, ground their 
um, what they need. Wow, that's great. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley. That is so helpful. So we'll link those organizations in the show notes uh, so you guys can check that out. Um, so that's that's kind of all I had for you today. Uh, I appreciate you taking your holiday morning uh, <laughs> with us and uh, really appreciate you you coming by and, and sharing your perspective with us. Um, and is there any way that if our listeners have any questions or are interested in checking out more of your work, where can they find you? I'm based at the University of Cincinnati. I'm professor and head of the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. You can Google me there. You can reach me by, e- by email at ashey.currier at uc.edu. Um, so that's my email address. So I'm happy to be in touch with folks who are interested. And I maintain an academia.edu page where people get proofs of uh, publications. So that's also a way people can stay in touch. Awesome. So wonderful. Thank you so, so much, Ashley. And uh, enjoy the beautiful holiday. Um, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow. What an interview. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much, Ashley. I, (laughs) Professor Courier, I mean, honestly, like I was just astounded that she was so willing and so happy to chat with us. So thank you again so, so much for coming on the show. It was so informative, so insightful, and I really, really enjoyed that interview (laughs) so much. Um, So, you know, obviously we had some technical difficulties throughout and we definitely acknowledge that. So we will be revisiting some of those organizations and some of those points that maybe may have gotten muddled or lost through the recording process, unfortunately. And yeah, we we don't want to leave you guys hanging. So we will talk about that. So Jerry, what did you take away from that whole experience? I mean, it was robust. So yeah. What, how how are you feeling? What stuck Um, out to you? I really enjoyed when she was describing I guess like painting, it really painted a picture of the conditions for like the LGBTQ plus community in Africa when okay. she mentioned that the centers are listed as like, this is the address, but they also don't advertise that on the outside of the buildings. Yes. And yeah. like, I thought about how much that differed from like how it is in America. Like, obviously we still have a lot of growing to do here, but I don't know. It's just, it's just wild. Yeah. Definitely very different, very yeah. different than, uh, how we experience those locations and and those resources in in this country. And as you say, we definitely still have work to do here, but yeah, yeah, that is definitely, uh, that stuck out to me as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah. What was your biggest takeaway? Um, I really, I mean, I'm like an Ashley fangirl a little bit. (laughs) I really just loved her humility. She was really honest about the fact that she's a white cis woman bisexual and you know she she really was honest about not only that but how that influences her ability to correctly capture or to even experience the things that she's covering and so she kind of as she says gets out of the way and gives people the voice and the space to share their stories and to get involved and and give people a reason to get involved with uh, this cause so 
I just really appreciated how she acknowledges that about her own experience and she makes active decisions, intentional decisions to address that. Yeah. And so that is... Um, and even mentioned... Oh, sorry. No, I'm no, cut no you go off. ahead. Go ahead. But like how she even mentioned that when you're thinking about providing help, that you should ask yourself, like, is this actually yes. appropriate for me to get involved right now? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's so, so important. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that that is, that's, that's just something that I really wanted to acknowledge about her, especially as we were picking her, you know, we acknowledge that those areas of her identity as well. And so uh, as I was reading through her work, I was like, no, this is someone who like gets it. So, absolutely. you know, we understand that we uh, had someone who was a white cis woman come on and talk about what's happening in Africa. But we felt that it was a really good choice because she really does make those active decisions and choices, not only in the interview where she was talking to us, but in her work, it's very evident. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I really appreciated that. And she does do a lot of great work and she works with a lot of great people, some of which were unfortunately lost a little bit in the recording. So we definitely want to revisit some of those organizations. Yeah, and that was that was my bad. Um. <laughs> it was both of our bad, you know. We're new to this and we are both growing. And yeah, so... There's yeah. connection issues though. <laughs> connection issues will get you every time. And so we definitely didn't want that to get lost because she did name some really wonderful people. But also I'd like to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, uh, Jarrett would like to apologize, but he doesn't have to because it's fine. Okay, so, okay. sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Someone that she mentioned was Gala, which is the Gay and Lesbian Archives, and it's a queer archive. They were founded in 1997, and as their website states, it is a catalyst for the production, preservation, and dissemination of information about the history, culture, and contemporary experiences of LGBTIQ people in South Africa. So they have some really, really, really cool content on their website, arts, posters, important articles about issues that were happening in South Africa's past as well as its current uh, status. So that is something that uh, we'll definitely link in the show notes and we will give you access to uh, take a look as well. And so... In another part of the interview, she started talking about national alerts and organizations that provide those. So she mentioned the Human Rights Watch, which I feel many are familiar with, but we'll still link them, obviously. Outright Action International. Jerry and I definitely agree that they have the best name. <laughs> <laughs> outright Action is just like dead on. They yeah, are outright and they are very active. And then also um, Amnesty International. And so, yeah, those are just some really great resources to get some of those national alerts. And so you can figure out what, what issues you want to help out with. But she also noted that it's much better to give, if you can, money to people in Africa directly to the source. They will know how to use the money. They will know where the money needs to go. I mean, they're there. They're boots on the ground they interact with the community they they know what is needed so that's another great way to help if you would like to 
And so one of those was the Queer African Youth Network. They have research and documentation. They have annual reports. They have a lot of resources for you to kind of get more insight into what's going on with the youth in what I believe is Western Africa. And so, again, this will all be available to you guys in the show notes. And another resource was Gender Dynamics, and they focus on transgender rights established in 2005. Uh, They are the first registered Africa-based public benefit organization to focus solely on trans and gender diverse communities. And that statement there is from their site. So definitely check it out. They have podcasts, partners and funders. They talk about what work they're doing. Um, and obviously they have the option for you to donate. So if you feel compelled, please do. And they're also on social media and YouTube. So take a look at that. And lastly, Ashley mentioned the regional organizations. Uh, one that she's part of is the Queer African Studies Association. They have a Facebook page, which I am on right now. Job postings, resources for you to find out how to get involved with areas of study that include, um, you know, African sexuality, queer African studies. So those are some of the things, uh, those were, that was everything that she, she mentioned uh, in those portions that may have been a little difficult for you guys to hear. So definitely wanted to make sure we got that information out to you and be sure to check it all out because lots of great resources and a lot of ways to offer support to this cause that is so desperately needed. So yeah, definitely check that out. And I'd like to note, um, thank you to Kershey. Oh my gosh. Because I thought this is a really interesting topic to cover and um, it's something that isn't like really talked about a lot. So thank you. I, I was happy to to do it. It was fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this, this has been really great. And yeah, this is the kind of work that we're trying to do. So if you guys have any suggestions or perspectives that you guys have to offer, please send them in. We would love to hear from you. We officially have an email account, finally. So <laughs> um, you guys can send us an email at sinfopod at gmail.com. That is S-I-N-F-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. And uh, Infopod. Sinfopod. So yeah, check, check that out. Send us over some good stuff. Send us some memes via email. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Email us your memes. Uh, yeah, send us your memes. <laughs> but yeah, reach out to us there. Let us know what you guys thought about the episode. And uh, thank you again so much for listening. And God, ooh, clear your couch and your cookies and don't leave a trace of this podcast on your browser. <laughs> <laughs>